Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you pick the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends elsewhere around the country who, when you say carnival time, all it means is you got to pay $50 for a king cake. Yeah. Ain't happening. Hello, everybody. I'm Jim Derry, sports betting writer for the Times-Picayune, the advocate, and bet.nola.com. And you are listening to a very special Datitude, episode number 57, for a Friday, February the 18th, 2022. And when I say very special, it's because when you think of the number 57, I mean, who else would we have on for episode number 57? Yes, we have ESPN's Mike Triplett. I'm glad he joined us. Fellow Cubs fan, covers the Saints as well as anyone outside of NOAA.com. Then we have NOAA.com's Devin Jackson, who is the sports content digital, the sports digital content editor for us here and has become a big part of bet.noah.com. And I'm looking forward to that segment because he is going to talk to us about how, you know, I like to have people on at least once every other week. It's not just so much what you bet and how you bet. Um, but what goes into your thought process. And Devin was just outstanding picking college football, and now he's getting into college basketball, and he's going to help us think about how to bet college basketball, and I want to get his thoughts on what he was thinking about the Super Bowl. We were on the same side now with the Rams. But number 57, I mean, who is the greatest NFL player ever to wear number 57? I don't think it's close. There, there were some great players that have worn 57, throughout the years, but not just because he's a saint, a former saint, and because I'm biased, which I am, and I don't care, but the greatest number 57 ever to play football in the National Football League was Ricky Jackson, and Ricky Jackson is on this show, uh, and thrilled to have him come on, and uh, we've been working to try to get him on. What better episode to have him than number 57, right? Well, he will be Wrapping up the show for us today, I wanted to save the best for last, and we're going to do that. Because a programming note, I am about to go on vacation. Yes, boys and girls, vacation. I forgot what that was like. I think the last time I had strung three days off together in a row was somewhere in a hotel room in Panama City during Hurricane Ida. And even then, I don't think I got three days off in a row. Um because we were working to get bet.nola.com started. So I was working from a hotel room for, I think we were there for, I don't know, a week, a little over a week, something like that. Interesting how far we've come since August. But anyway, I am looking forward to uh, that. Um, And so this is our last Datitude for two weeks. We will be back on the air on Friday. I believe March 4th is the date. So we were taking a couple weeks off. This is our last show before Mardi Gras. And so we will have a little carnival time action at the end of the show, but not before we get to Trip and Devin Jackson and, more importantly, Ricky Jackson. What's in the news around the city? 
well, we talked about it on Tuesday. We were talking about potential candidates for offensive coordinator. And since we were on the air with Jeff Duncan on Tuesday, Pete Carmichael named offensive coordinator. And we were expecting, Jeff Duncan was expecting, that he would be willing to take a lesser role to stay on with the Saints. But Dennis Allen decided to name offensive coordinator. We're going to get into that with Mike Triplett in just a moment. Um, And look, how can you not say continuity is a good thing for this team? Winning season five years in a row, playoffs for those five years. Um, when you're talking about trying to reel in a top-notch quarterback, is Pete, Mar- Pete Carmichael fill the bill? Why not? Uh, he is the disciple and protege of Sean Payton. So I certainly don't think it hurts. Who are those quarterback candidates? Who are the most likely players out there to be the next quarterback of the New Orleans Saints? Jameis Winston? Teddy Bridgewater? Russell Wilson? Is that a pipe dream? Aaron Rodgers is a pipe dream. That ain't happening. Um, We had some odds come out across the pond from who might be the next quarterback of the Saints. I think... Aaron Rodgers was in the neighborhood of 10 to 1. That's way too low. It's more like 20 to 1. Uh, Russell Wilson was 4 to 1. And I think that's pretty spot on. Maybe even a little better than that. I mean, maybe it's 3 to 1. Some people think that now he's not going to leave the Seahawks. I don't buy it. I think he wants out. So if you don't get one of those two guys, which means if you don't get Russell Wilson, I think the odds on favorites are. Teddy Bridgewater or Jameis Winston. And hey, I don't think either one of those would be bad options. Um, we've talked about it on Datitude and we've talked about it in different shows. And I know some of you are rolling your eyes or shaking your head or yelling, no, 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 no. Well, you can yell no, no, no all you want. What are your options? Jimmy Garoppolo is just as good an option as either one of those guys. And we get into it with Tripp in just a moment again. But do you really want to spend a at the minimum, at the bare minimum, a second-round draft pick, maybe a second-round pick and something else, maybe a second and a third next year, and then you got to pay Garoppolo like $25 million? No. I, I don't want to say that. I mean, I really don't. I think Jameis Winston is at least as good as Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Teddy Bridgewater would be a nice bridge, pardon the pun, until the Saints find who their quarterback's going to be for the next 10 to 12 years. And in the pipe dream world, maybe it's not a pipe dream, Russell Wilson, but that's obviously the target. And you do whatever you can to get him if you can. So that's where they're probably going to look first and see if they can make a trade with Seattle. If it doesn't happen, it's going to be most likely Bridgewater or Winston. And I'm okay with that. But we got a lot of time before then. We know that there aren't a ton of quarterbacks in this draft. They're never going to get Kenny Pickett. He'll be long gone off the board. I have a feeling that Matt Corral is probably going to jump up draft boards as well. We'll see. It all depends on teams like Pittsburgh, what are they going to do? Washington, the Commanders, that's going to be hard to get used to. 
I just got used to calling them the football team. Now we're going to call them the commanders. Ugh. Um, I don't have anything against it. Whatever. Commanders is fine. I mean, we're not going to get into that whole political thing of what's fine and what's not. But uh, I can't even say the name anymore. But their old name was fine. But again, I'm not getting into that. Um, so, yeah, we got a lot of thinking to do. We don't know who the defensive coordinator is going to be. Maybe we'll find that out as soon as today. That would be interesting. Um, but we're going to get more on that coming up. And I don't want to spoil anything. So let's get into the conversation. We're going to start off with, with Tripp. We're going to work our way into Devin Jackson. And then Hall of Famer, the NFL Hall of Famer, Ricky Jackson, coming on after that. Welcoming into the Datitude Podcast on a Friday morning, ESPN's Mike Triplett. And, um, you know, Mike, as I go into a vacation, I had Duncan on on Tuesday and, and you here on this morning. And, you know, by the time we come back, we hope we know some answers about baseball. And I couldn't think of anybody else to have better on this week than you and Duncan. I mean, if I had Mouton and Mike Prange on, the people I enjoy kicking their ass more than anybody else in uh, fantasy baseball, oh, oh, you four guys. And so, I mean, maybe I'll try to get Mouton and Prange on soon. I don't know. But I'm just glad to have you on this Friday morning. If we go with uh, total finishes over the last two years, I think I got you. You know, you just had this recency. You snuck past me. I, I have those things you called rings. I mean, you have one. Top, top, top two finishes in the last two years. Me, two, you, one. I'm just saying I don't know who has more rings, but I think I can count. I need two hands. Hold on. My daughter's birth, my daughter's sixth birthday was yesterday. Yeah, that's how many fingers I need. Six fingers to count how many championships mm-hmm. I have. That's all right. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to stuff that people really care about, and that's uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your take on the Super Bowl, but I do want to talk about the Saints first. And, um, you know, Mike, I got to say that I was a little surprised by the Pete Carmichael – I guess it's not a promotion. It's staying on at, at, at OC and all the, the people that we had heard rumors about. And Jeff Duncan was talking on Tuesday about how Pete was seen to be willing to accept a lesser role. And here we are, you know, two days after he's uh, announced that he's the offensive coordinator. Were you surprised by this? Well, only because I think Jeff was the first to report that Pete was going to take that lesser role and that they were going to move on at offensive coordinator. If Dennis Allen had announced the day he was, you know, named head coach and, you know, I'm going to keep Pete running that offense, I don't think anyone would have batted an eye. I mean, nobody's going to question that he's qualified for that job. And sure, we all know that the offense needs a jumpstart. It was, it it was, it was downright dormant last year. They finished 32nd in the league in, in passing yards and, and, they can make a change to that offense because they're, but I've said this, they're beholden to, to nothing. It's not like, Oh, well, they want to keep the same offense they've been running because of blank. I mean, they, they, they could start everything over from scratch if they wanted to on that offense. They don't even know who the quarterback's going to be yet. So um, they didn't have to keep that offense, but I would not have been surprised one bit. If Pete Carmichael left the saints, I think, He'd be snatched up in a minute by some other coaching staff. He, he's, he's a very worthy offensive coordinator. They were looking at Jay Gruden and people were saying, Oh, look at the work Jay Gruden did with, you know, Cincinnati and Washington. Well, look right. at the work Pete Carmichael did with uh, Drew Brees and the Saints. So, uh, you know, uh, so it doesn't surprise me. It only surprises me because 
I think we spent the week thinking, oh, this is exciting. There's going to be a new <laughs> offense. What's it going to look exactly. like? And then it was like, no, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> no, we'll say but what's that as well. I also don't think Pete Carmichael means you're having a blank offense. Like, does Pete Carmichael mean you're going to throw for 5,500 yards? Does Pete Carmichael mean you're going to uh, – run the Taysom Hill offense? Does Pete Carmichael mean you're going to run the Jameis Winston offense? I mean, I, 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 I think all everything is still on the table with him as offensive coordinator. It's hard to fathom. You, you know, you bring up that number. The Saints were 32nd in passing. Look, I know we Crazy. You, you lose a Hall of Famer, but, I mean, to go from being one through five every year, it seems like, for 15 years, and to go to 32nd in passing, it's just it's hard to fathom. Well, Look, there's so many reasons for it. Now, their offense was not going to be special no matter what. When, when they were relatively healthy at the beginning of the year, their plan was to grind it out. I mean, it worked great against Green Bay. Um, but they were going to build that team last year around the offensive line. They were going to win the time of possession. They were going to run the ball better than you were going to run the ball. They were going to not turn the ball over. And, and you know, that was going to be a pretty effective plan. But you lose Michael Thomas <laughs> yeah. for an entire season. You lose Jameis Winston starting in week eight. You lose Alvin Kamara for four games during that five-game losing streak. And most important, I won't say most importantly, but the, the absolute death knell for them was when they lost Armstead and Ramchek no together at the same time for six or seven games. You, you just, you know... One guy, you move James Hurst into the other spot, you can get by. You lose both guys, and, and every quarterback failed behind that combination. I mean, uh, they just, you know, you can't run the ball when you don't have those tackles. You can't protect the quarterback when you don't have those tackles. So, so last year's offense was a bit of an anomaly because the, the significance of the injuries to that offense last year were overwhelmed. Reminds me of Jim Morris say, we couldn't run the ball. We didn't try to run the ball. We couldn't run the ball. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of when you yeah. say that. Yeah. Um, and, and you didn't even mention Taysom Hill missing a big chunk of yeah. the season. You know? No. And, and not just the quarterback. And look, it was going to be a down offense anyway. I mean, the, the receiving, the, you know, we spent September talking about, oh, sure, they're winning. And, yeah, they're doing some good things. But. They've got nobody catching the ball, you know, at receiver and at tight end. And, and that's the biggest problem on this team. And that obviously remained true all year long, too. But, uh, but it, was, it was the injuries to their five best offensive players on top of that. That, that, that you know, we were looking at uh, an offense that might have finished 16th in the league and instead right. <laughs> finished 28th in the league. ESPN's Mike Triplett here on the Datitude podcast. Uh, Trip, you, uh, you also look at, if you're looking ahead, I mean, Pete Carmichael, we, this is the most we, – we went into last year not knowing what the heck we were going to see, right? I mean, and now right. we're here in the middle of February as we about to approach the free agency period, and we don't have any clue who's going to be playing offense. And I mean, we have, we have a, a good idea of, of some spots, but we don't really have a clue of what this offense is going to look like or right. who's going to be playing quarterback – if Mike Thomas is going to be back and healthy, what's going on with Alvin Kamara? I mean, this is the most uncertainty this offense has had in 16 years. I completely agree with you. And, uh, I mean, from, from the top on down, and that's why I was saying um, 
everything could have been on the table for this offense because, I mean, if, if you want to run the run and shoot, if you want to yeah, bring in a right. quarterback who's going to you know run the run the read option, I mean, I mean, it can it can be anything. Now, I do think it's a I think it's a safe bet that um, Kamara could miss time because of a suspension, but Kamara's probably going to be a part of the offense. I think Ryan Ramchek is going to be a part of the offense, and I think I do think Michael Thomas is going to be back as part of this offense. Um, I don't think it's a case where they have to trade him. I, it's certainly not going to be that way just because of the salary cap, because, um, you know, I, I don't think you're going to get, you know, the Jimmy Graham, Brandon Cooks return for him right now with the question marks about his health and stuff. So I do think he's going to be a part of this offense. So those are some good core pieces to build around. I, the offensive line has to be better, but I don't, you know, I, I would predict that Toronto Armstead probably won't be part of it. Uh, because I, I do think some team is going to pay the premium for him. I mean, his upside is so worth it that that a desperate team like, say, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, that are like a left right. tackle away from winning a championship can probably gamble on, you know, if we get a healthy season out of him, he's worth whatever he costs. So I do think he might get priced out of New Orleans. So I don't know that for sure. But um, so, you know, they probably have to add a little to that offensive line because, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't what we're used to last year. But but quarterback is the key. And and they are going to add a receiver. Of course they're going to add a receiver. How could they not add a receiver um, in free agency or the draft? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Adam Troutman will be a little better. I, I just, I just can't help but think they're going to aim really high at quarterback, or at least bring back Jameis Winston or Teddy Bridgewater. They're not going to take a step back at quarterback, and um, and then add a little more around them. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to make the bold prediction that the offense is going to be much improved over last year. Well, that that that's really going on a limb that trip. I mean. <laughs> You know, 32nd and passing. I mean, you were going way out on a limb there. But, uh, you know, you talk about quarterback. I agree with you. I think you have to aim high to just unless you want to go 6 and 11. Because, I mean, you really have to aim high at quarterback. But to me, I've always said this. Quarterback is your number one position. But the number two position, the number two most important position on any football team, I think, is left tackle. And, to me, the uncertainty there, you, if you lose a Teron Olmstead, and I agree with you, I think there's an excellent chance he's not a Saint next year. I mean, what do you do? do you, I mean, is that a position that you can draft? This actually might – it's not a great draft, but it might be a decent draft for, for O-linemen. Um, and or do you go out in free agency? I'm not even sure who's available. I don't hate the idea of – healthy Ryan Ramchek at right tackle and, and James Hurst at left tackle. Cause I think Hurst has played really well the last couple of years when he's been on the field. Um, you know, if you have one all pro tackle and one above average tackle, I think that's okay. But I did, you know, I do agree with you on the importance of, of the left tackle position in general. I think it's, I think it's edge rusher and left tackle battling yeah. for that. Spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the saints have edge rusher. So, uh, at least we're okay in that spot. Speaking of the defense, um, what a, what a job! Obviously, Dennis Allen kind of takes now a, a Sean Paytonish role where he might have a Pete Carmichael type as a DC because obviously he's probably going to still be calling the plays on defense. I would imagine. Um, so what what do we see? We haven't heard a lot about potential defensive coordinators. Michael Wilhoit's name was was brought up earlier this week. Um, knows a lot about this team. Uh, 
what do you see there and how long do you think before a DC is named? I think that could come any minute now. Uh, maybe, maybe before the podcast even yeah, goes up. But, there you uh, go. Um, That's I, happened before, by the way. <laughs> all along, I've thought uh, that uh, the defensive coordinator search feels a lot like the head coach search and, and actually uh, a lot like how the offensive coordinator search ended up being, which is take the time, do due diligence, meet some other people, consider some other ideas. But the leading contender was going to be really hard to beat throughout the entire process. And that is two in-house guys. That's, you know, Ryan Nielsen and Chris Richard. And now Nick Underhill was mentioning the idea that they might name them as co-defensive coordinators, or maybe they'll be like a, a, you know, passing game coordinator, run game coordinator. I don't know. But um, I think that was one of the main reasons why Dennis Allen was attractive as a head coach was trying to figure a way to keep that whole staff together because they've got some stars on this set. I mean, Ryan Nielsen and Chris Richard should probably both be defensive coordinators in the NFL. So if there's a way to keep those guys both on staff, um, that, you know, that to me is a no brainer that the offensive coordinator, you could have absolutely convinced me that there's another path, but defense, you'd have a hard time convincing me. You wanted to bring someone else in and lose those guys. The only thing that makes me nervous, and I agree with you, both of those guys are, are excellent, but uh, I think of co-defensive coordinators, and I know they maybe weren't technically co-defensive coordinators, but you go back to the Dennis Allen, Rob Ryan time, and it was such a weird time, and you were waiting. That that whole 2015 season, you just waiting to see when yeah. Rob Ryan was going to get canned, and he finally did, And but you knew Dennis Allen was going to take charge. I mean, we can't be in that situation again. And I say, well, no, obviously not. But that uh, that also wouldn't be this situation. I mean, that that was different because Rob Ryan was almost fired and (laughs) they decided, all right, we're not going to fire you, but you're on double secret probation. And by the way, we're bringing in this guy that I love who does things differently than you. And we're creating a new position for him. Uh, I, I mean, that's awful. But yeah, look, I. I mean, the idea of co-defensive coordinators, if that's what it ends up being, I, I don't love it because I'm not familiar with it, but right. it, also, it also feels like it doesn't matter what you call it. I mean, especially if Dennis Allen is calling the plays, as he suggested he plans to. Um, you can give them any title you want to, to show them the respect they deserve and to keep them on staff. But if you just called him defensive line coach and secondary coach, if you called him passing game coordinator and run game coordinator, that, you know, whatever keeps them both in the building and keeps them both, you know, doing the job they were brought here to do because they're both excellent at it. You've been covering this team for, what, 15 or more years now? Uh, do you remember a more uh, messed up time? I'm going to keep this friendly uh, than, than that mid-2010s. Tw- t- <laughs> uh, oh, God. Well, no, I mean, of course I don't remember a more messed up time than that because there hasn't been one. Um, three straight, three straight Losing seasons has only happened once. In, With you know, Drew Brees. Now, now, when you say, do I remember a more messed up time? The first, the first, my first year covering the team was 2005, so yes, I do. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it was around then. I couldn't remember. I was, yeah, I, I was, was pretty messed I was up. covering the team in San Antonio and then they uh, benched. Then New uh, York. And <laughs> go and fire Dick Hazlitt at the end of the season. So, yeah. Um, but... Uh, and, and they were maybe, you know, the whole year it was, are they going to move and become the permanent San Antonio Saints? So, um, yeah. You know, it goes, to sh- trip, it goes to show. 
There was no more messed up time during the Sean Payton Drew Brees era than, than that stretch. But I will tell you, it is interesting that um, anyone who's, who's, who's sort of fighting back on this, oh, God, they're keeping everything the same. They're keeping everything the same. Way to not think outside of the box. I do remember when they had the three straight losing seasons and Sean Payton considered leaving and, mm-hmm. and the Saints kind of recommitted to him and, and the Saints could have said, you know what, why don't we just make this a mutual Absolutely. divorce? And they definitely thought long and hard about it. The Saints came to not a lazy conclusion, like we wouldn't know what to do without Chompe. I mean, these people aren't lost in the front right. office and, and ownership. They decided, yeah, we could hire some other coach that may or may not work out, but we know how good Sean Payton is. He's the guy we want leading our rebuilding. Uh, he's the guy that we want running this team. Uh, there's no better hire in the league that we can make than keeping Sean Payton. But it was a very deliberate decision they made at that time. And five straight winning seasons. I mean, they, they were proven right. Um, so so it's, it's not a we can't think of any other possibility. It's a we think that this is the best approach. And, and, and so you got to give them some credit for that. Now, I already know. The Saints are set up to struggle here in the near future. I, I think they could have a really good season this year, but it's going to take another great 2017 level draft class to set this team up for years of success because Cam Jordan's getting older, Demario Davis is getting older, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are getting older. You know, at skill positions where where your window is shorter. Um, so you know, there, it's very possible that this team takes a step back, and and, and if that happens. It's going to be, well, it's because the Saints didn't think outside of the box and they just tried to keep the old band, you know, I mean, you already know what the arguments are going to be. But I, I don't think that they are keeping Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael and, and possibly Ryan Nielsen and, and Chris Richard because they don't know any better. Well, I will say this. I was one of the idiots who was saying maybe it's time for Sean Payton to go during that time. Um, I, I, it was a popular opinion. Uh, yeah, but I mean, if, if you're not thinking through, I think, and, and you talk about the administration and how the executives and how they were able to see through that and Mr. Benson and, and Dennis Lausch and everybody, Mickey Loomis, and able to see through, this is the best person for our team. And I think when you talk about 2005, for example, and all the things that happened in this team, now obviously Katrina was worse, at least for the Saints, than it than Ida was, but Ida was pretty bad. You talk about the difference between 2005 and 2021 could have been just like 2005 with all the injuries, all the problems they had with Ida starting the season in Jacksonville instead of the Superdome. But yet mm-hmm. somehow Sean Payton was able to to put together a winning season. I think says a lot about not just him, the organization as a whole, and what they were able to accomplish. So that's why I think staying status quo and talking about continuity and all those things. I think that's why you tend to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to trust you. And, well, and I'm not going to go. And I'll that. add to like, that. I'll add to that, that we're not also talking about, Oh, this guy went to college with Sean Payton and he knows Sean Payton. Like we're talking about some pretty special systems because when, when I wrote a story in week 17, I was talking with my editor about the premise of the story and it was listing all those things that they fought through this year. And I specifically said, um, I don't want to write necessarily that Sean Payton deserves to be coach of the year, 
but I almost feel like this, this coaching staff deserves coaching staff of the year. Like I actually yeah. had that conversation with him and, and remember Sean Payton was out with COVID when right. <laughs> Dennis Allen took over as interim head coach and they went to Tampa Bay and in December and beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers nine to nothing. Yeah, uh, not to mention all the times that, Oh, the entire offensive coaching staff is unavailable for this game because yeah. of COVID. Oh, the entire defensive coaching staff is unavailable for this game because of COVID. And, and I think a lot of guys uh, on the coaching staff stepped up. And, and so they are not just here because they were Sean Payton's assistants. Dennis Allen in particular, um, you know, and obviously Pete Carmichael too and, and Nielsen and Richard. I mean, they, they are – I think if Ryan Nielsen, Chris Richard, and Pete Carmichael were not going to be the Saints coordinators, I think they would be coordinators for other teams either this year or in the near future. You know, also I'll say another reason for confidence is if you're looking for hope for next year, one thing this team has done better than almost any other team is when their back's against the wall and they have like a little bit of skepticism thrown at them or you Mm -hmm. can't win this one or you can't do this. Whenever this team is told you can't do something – that's when they kind of like take it on their shoulders and the Cam Jordans of the world and Demario Davis of the world, who I think are two of the best captains in the NFL. I mean, if you want team leaders, those two guys to me are two of the best. And they kind of take it on their shoulders and say, you know what? The hell with all y'all. We're going to show you something. <laughs> well, Demario Davis in particular has been so impressive. I mean, I keep worrying about, you know, him being 32 years old and thinking, oh, man, what if, what if all of a sudden he's not Demario Davis anymore? But I guess I'll, I'll – Maybe he'll go till right. 40. He seems, he seems built different. He definitely does. And, I mean, it, it's great that you have to have a guy like that. And when you lose a Drew Brees, for a guy like that to basically step up and to take that role. And when you see the pregame thing and all the eyes are on him, every single player's eyes are on that guy. And that's what you want. You got to have that. No, and you're right about both of those guys. So, I mean, the defense is still pretty special. It is nice of all the things we're talking about for this team. Now, look, they're, they're going to have to replenish that defense soon. Yeah. They're going to have to resign Marcus Williams and free agency. Otherwise, that would be a really tough guy to replace. Right. They're eventually going to have to replace one guy in every level, Malcolm Jenkins, Cameron Jordan, Demario Davis. Marcus Davenport's going into the final year of his deal. Um, so I'm not saying – you ignore the defense completely. It's probably something you pay attention to more in the draft than, than an immediate free agency need though. Um, that, that is not as glaring as, and really the, the positions that we're talking about are super important, but if you tell me they're going to nail it at quarterback number two receiver and one more offensive lineman. I, I, I'm good to go this season. I really am. <laughs> well, Mike Triplett here on the Datitude Podcast. Speaking of quarterback, um, you know, there are so many names being thrown out there. I mean, what do you, yeah. what do you, I mean, we know the name, so we don't, you know, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. I well, I think it's, I think it's important to distinguish the names though, because I could be wrong about this, but to me, I think you can kind of shorten the list pretty quickly. I, I think they will absolutely see what it will take to get Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers here. I, I think they would pay whatever it costs to get those guys. I think the big question mark there is, are they even going anywhere? It sounds like Aaron Rodgers isn't, and, and there's been a lot of talk that Russell Wilson might not leave. Um, but I think Wilson's 
more realistic. I think sure. I think he legitimately has has given indications he wants out of there. Um, but then the second hardest part is how did the Saints make the best offer? If Russell Wilson is actually available, you know, how, how do the Giants, who have a top ten, two top ten picks, not offer three three first rounders, or you know, the Broncos, or you know, any number of teams who who are picking much higher than the Saints at 18th, and who would be picking, you know, in the 20s right. next year if we got Russell Wilson? So I, I think it's going to be hard to acquire those guys, but I think the Saints will make an attempt at it. Um, but if it's not Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, then I'm looking at, at Jameis or Teddy Bridgewater because I, I don't think that Jimmy Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins or Ryan Tannehill or um, uh, give me a couple more, Baker Mayfield, uh, Carson Wentz, I don't think those guys are head and shoulders guaranteed better than Jameis Winston and Teddy Bridgewater. I agree 100%. And I know they would cost two or three times as much. You'd have to pay a first or a second round pick for those guys. Plus, a lot of them are making $27, $35 million. I'd kind of rather pay $10 million or less for one of those free agents, to be honest. But, um, you know, the Saints could feel differently. But uh, the one thing I do know for sure is they are not going to make that a secondary concern. They, they know that is the whole ball of wax and they are going to, they're going to land the best quarterback that they can uh, at the price tag they want because they know how important that position. is. Yeah. I got to say, I'll be very surprised if the starting quarterback for the saints is not Wilson, Winston or Bridgewater. I think those are the only three that unless some kind of fluky thing happens between now and the next six weeks or so. I, I just think that those are the, the three clearly leading candidates. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, the Saints don't ever let the salary cap completely dictate what they're right. going to do. But salary cap is a factor here. So I think it would just be foolhardy for this team to be like, oh, whatever, we'll pay Jimmy Garoppolo $27 yeah, million not, dollars and happening. give up two seconds for him. Like, yeah. no they, their resources are too limited to, to be like – you know, who cares? This is monopoly I mean, money. <laughs> Jameis Winston's stats. I mean, and I know we don't go just by stats, but Winston was a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. And, right. I, and, I, and I think that Winston is a better quarterback than Jim, Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, that if the price was exactly the same, there's a lot of guys I could see them choosing. And if the price was close. I mean, look, if Garoppolo is available for a fourth-round pick and they eat half the salary, I mean, I'm not, I'm not ruling it out completely. But I just have a hard time thinking they will pay three times as much money plus premium draft picks well, for somebody gonna, who I don't want to be a little better. Yeah, yeah there are going to be other teams in the market for a quarterback in <clears throat> the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, yeah. uh, along those lines. You know, who knows, maybe the, the Washington and I guess Commanders. we didn't mention Kyler Murray, too. Um, I, I'd probably put him in the Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers class, but he seems even less likely to actually be available. I think. Yeah. I think they're going to find a way to work that out. Um, I don't think Kyler Murray's, but it, we could be, it is interesting. I wonder if we're talking about eight teams with different starting quarterbacks next year. I mean, it, it could be much ado about nothing. And most of the guys stay put. Um, I think eight is there was a, a press conference yesterday that cousins isn't going anywhere. You know, it sounds like Wentz and Garoppolo are definitely moving. But every other guy we mentioned, Tannehill, Mayfield, like, you know, a lot of those, Murray, Wilson, Rogers, Cousins, uh, all those guys could end up staying put, too. Uh, Wilson's not staying in Seattle. That's a smoke screen. <laughs> I think that's what they're using that as leverage. We'll find out. But uh, I'll tell you what, if this team gets 
Russell Wilson and uh, and Hurst is okay at left tackle and Mike Thomas comes back and Alvin Kamara only misses four to six games. I mean, this team really could be good next year. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm talking about really good. So who knows? You could run back the exact same team as last year and just say, hey, you know, hit the reset button on their health and, and right. let's see what happens. I'm not saying they all have to be healthy for 16 games. Guys will miss time. But I just know that if I hit the reset button, I'm not I'm not missing as many games from my top ten players as I did last year. Well, if you that... just run back last season, this team was built to go eleven and six. I think not win the Super Bowl, but I think go eleven and six and get into the playoffs. So if you tell me you could you could have that this year, uh, plus maybe one or two key additions, uh, you know, and, and the fact that the NFC South is wide open, I think there's plenty of reason for optimism. Well, I mean, San Francisco squeaked in and it only got yep. in because they, they get this miracle comeback. Otherwise, the, the Saints are in that spot and San Francisco went to the NFC Championship games. Who knows? Yeah, two four seeds were in the game. I mean, <laughs> I mean, who knows? If you, I don't yeah. like the Saints matchup against the, the Rams because I think that uh, their defensive line would have just yeah. killed us. But, uh, our defense against anybody else. Hey, who knows? I mean, yeah. it would have been an interesting thing. All right. Before I let you go, I want to get your take on the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, we all know what happened, but one of the funny takes I'm, I, I see, uh, is you got to get just a little chuckle out of the whole Eli Apple thing. Don't you just a little, I bit. don't know. Just I don't little. know. I mean, I guess the Saints took it on and made it a real thing. Like when Sean Payton made that, uh, that comment uh, um, during his press conference. And then obviously some of the players were firing at him at Twitter, but I don't, Eli Apple's original premise that uh, uh, the the fan base is, is so bad on Twitter. Like I I don't get into all that. Well, when you say you hate New Orleans, you know that we're all going yeah, to get together as a city, group. You know, when he took it to the city, obviously he was picking a fight up. <laughs> oh, you're going to lose that fight. You don't, you don't pick a fight against it. You know, we may have our issues and, and not agree with each other about certain things, but we're, we're, like, we're like brothers. I mean, you pick a fight with one of us, you pretty much pick the fight with all of us, and we're probably going to be on your ass. I mean, that's just the way it is. Oh, man, but... Uh... It, it, it is we pretty real woke a fire. He ended up he ended up being the one covering Cooper Cup on the final drive <laughs> of the game. That was just the game. what a what a thankless matchup that is. Really? That guy's unstoppable. Right? Well, my and you look, you know, Wuzie got hurt. So I mean, if he doesn't get hurt, it's probably not Eli Apple on Cup there. Um, I don't know, but uh, you know, well, I, this is what I want to know about a player. Why does it take something like this to say you reawoke a fire? I mean. Why don't you have fire anyway? You're getting paid millions of dollars to play football. Do you need someone to relight your fire? I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe so. Michael Thomas is looking for it every day, man. He's looking for that edge every day. It works for him. That's a whole nother. (laughs) I'm going to be nice to Michael Thomas, and and we'll see what happens there. Um, Just your sense of the game, though. I mean, it it was an interesting game. You know, it was a close game. It It was interesting to watch. Fun, I don't know if fun is the right word. You, a lot of Saints fans were interested because of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And you know, to me, I was just as happy for Andrew Whitworth as I was for either one of those guys. Yeah, but, for sure. You know, it, it just – it wasn't the, the greatest game played. Let's just put it that way, though. Well, there, 
you know, we, I was, you know, with a bunch of family and, 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 you know, it, I wasn't watching it with the same intensity right. that I watch a game where I'm like glued to the set. And, and, and the one good thing about it was, I think there was drama the whole way through, like, at, at, you know, the entire game uh, felt like each team was one drive away from taking control of the game. Now it took them a long time to take control of the game. Uh, but it, at, at least, you know, you spent most of that game thinking, either team could, could win it, which, you know, which is what I want out of most of my Super Bowls. So uh, the end certainly made up for it. The one thing I like, um, and maybe I'm in the minority here, like I don't always root for the Yankees and the, uh, you know, the, the Alabama football <laughs> and everything like that. But I do like the idea that, you know, the, the game-winning plays were made by Cooper Cup, who was the best player in yes. football this year, and Aaron Donald, who might be the best player in football over the last decade. I mean, it's probably Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Aaron Donald. He's certainly no the question. best non-quarterback of the last decade. And how cool is it that, like, you're watching Aaron Donald in his prime in the Super Bowl making the last two plays of the game to win a ring. That, that was pretty special. Who should have been the MVP, by the way? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Cooper Cup had a good argument too, but there is it, absolutely, and I've actually had an MVP vote before in the Super Bowl, and yeah, I mean, they're like, they're like, can you turn this in? You know, like, yeah, yeah in the beginning of the I fourth think quarter, turn it in right at the buzzer, and you're kind of like, uh, I, I think, yeah, I think you should have time to marinate. What was so interesting about Cup and Aaron Donald is, and and this this will get into your who dad gambling uh, uh, um, is. It's 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 quarterback so often because like I remember the uh, the Patriots beating the Rams in the Super Bowl in the Superdome. I think I had a vote that year, and it was like you wanted to give it to the Patriots defense, but there were like four defensive players who all made huge plays in that game. So it's like all right, I guess Tom Brady. You know, it's like because you have to pick one. That's such a cop out, man. with the Rams, it it was oh there is one defensive player, <laughs> and it is Aaron yeah. Dot like you know. But but most years it's like, you know, the quarterback wins it because it's like a five way tie for uh, for second place. <laughs> yeah, and I know. Look, I don't know what it is, but it seems like the us media types. There's just certain guys that they don't have the same charisma or charm or whatever, and it's like a you just kind of knew Matt Stafford wasn't going to get it. And I know he threw two picks, but to me, if if you're going to give an MVP to someone on the offense. I mean, Matthew Stafford's the one that that drove him down the field. And and I know the two picks were bad. I get it. But I just think what he was able to do, I, I, I could, Cup wasn't special in that game. Now, he caught the one in yeah, touchdown. But, great. But, but they gave the I MVP before out, that. I think what stood out with Cup was it became pretty clear. I, I, the, the play that probably put him over the top was running forward on fourth and one. No, no he, question. I agree with go, that. They even had to go to Cooper Cup for that. Like there was no question. Didn't Stafford give it to McVeigh because that was a great call. Yeah. But Stafford did a great job. But Stafford did a great job of being like, all right, we need to win this game. So <laughs> I need to figure out where Cooper Cup is on every play. <laughs> it's the only yeah, that's way. true. Like it became so apparent in that game yeah, that once you lose OBJ, we are only going to go as far as as how we get the ball to Cooper Cup. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you on that. It, but I will say this. I mean, it wasn't egregious. It wasn't like they said, you got to be kidding me. Because I've seen, I've seen times when MVP is whoever, and I'm like, really? You know, so. But right, I, no, it, that wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't egregious at all. And actually, when we were waiting, uh, you know, for them to announce it, I, I was wondering. I thought all three guys had a chance at it. But, uh, um, yeah, I do, think, I do think if, like, the vote was, you know, 
took place 30 minutes after the game or an hour after the game or the next morning or whatever. I, I you know, once everybody had a chance to look at the game as a whole, right, I, I Aaron Donald. Donald would have won it. Yeah. Well, I'm not bitter because I had Donald at 18 to one through Caesar Sportsbook, <laughs> who is well, the official odds provider of bet.nola.com. He should have made his two big biggest plays a little sooner. Yeah. Well, then they're not as big a plays, are they? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what happened to my Iowa Hawkeyes last night, man? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, they're, they're, they're better be Iowa, careful I, playing their way out of the tournament. Iowa, Iowa sport. Well, I mean, look what they did last year. They were, they went in as a, were they a two seed last year? Yeah. Um, a, uh, uh, recent Iowa sports has been, they've been flying too close to the sun, you know, instead of their usual, we're the 15th best <laughs> football team with the 15th best basketball team. They try to get in the top five and everybody starts mm-hmm. watching them. And, uh, and they're like, they're going to need a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> if Iowa had a good quarterback, they might've won a national championship. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'm not trying to dig into you. I'm being serious. I mean, that, no, no that defense is phenomenal. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a short coming for them. There's no question. That's, it's hard in college football, man. All the players come. It is. The I will say this. I was not the only team in the north or the Midwest that has lost talent over the last two decades. Wow. Nebraska and Michigan for a while and uh, Penn State and Notre Dame, they're all trying to figure it out, too. There's, there's all the good footballs being played down here. All the little digs aside, I will tell you this. When Iowa plays Michigan or Iowa plays Ohio State, go Hawkeyes. I can't root for either one of those two teams. I mean, I don't care what sport it is. You could be swimming. I'm like, are there swimming in Big Ten championships? Did did Michigan and Ohio State lose? Okay, good. All right, that's all. That's all we care about. All right, how about Cubs baseball? Are we going to get it this year? I mean, it's not no, looking good right now. I mean, there's a whole philosophical. It's so funny when we talk about the Saints, and I I don't agree with. You know the the Saints fans who are all like, I just want to tear it all down. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think there's good things about the Saints right now, and 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 they're too close to having a, a a legitimate, realistic path to success with the star players they do have. Um, but uh, but if you are a tweener, if you're if you're like, you know, maybe we can win 75 games this year. Uh, it's sad to me. I can't believe I'm going to watch Cubs games and without Javi Baez of, of all people. I mean, I love Rizzo too. And I love, but Javi Baez, you could turn a game on, you know, may on a Tuesday and you were excited just, you know, cause he might make the highlight play home again in the field or up to that. So that stinks. But, but that, that approach works in baseball that seriously tear it all down and, and, and get as many resources as you can to build back up. So I guess I, I guess I like that they're not just trying to tread water and, and, and win 80 games every year and never get better or worse. But I don't know. It's, it's Didn't we just hard. go through this, though? What's that? Didn't we just go through this? I know. Well, and it worked, I guess. Yeah. I guess maybe that's why they believe in it. It just better be about, it better be about a strategy to win and not right. about saving money. I hope it's not just about saving money because they have got a ton of money right now. Exactly. So they better be prepared to pounce and spend it as soon as, as soon as the prospects come through. Like that's what they did. It's frustrating when you see a pitching staff that is, Ugh. is in shambles like this team's pitching staff. And uh, you know, I just, I'm just worried that they're not going to play baseball until May. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, I guess it was a good time. It was a good time to have the uh, fifty-game season and a good time to have I guess. The, 
the the strike or whatever, you know, it, it would be a little sadder if your team was in its absolute prime during these years and, and you're, you're wasting the talents of uh, your superstar player while he's in his prime. Well, I hope <laughs> the, we have more. The Cubs I, don't have those. <laughs> I hope we have more to watch in, in May and June than the New Orleans Breakers. I'm just, I'm no, no offense to the New Orleans Breakers, but. Hey, the uniforms look sharp. They do. Like, they look really nice. I will say that. It's a little. It's weird. Blue in New Orleans. I'm not sure. I mean, UNO, it works for them, but uh, I don't know. Blue. But otherwise, yeah, I like it. It's different. Um, a little different. It should be interesting. Are you going to follow the USFL at all? I, I'll probably I'll probably dabble, but yeah. uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't have the rosters lo- on lockdown just yet. All right. Well, when you get it, let us know, and we'll, we'll do a whole New Orleans breaker segment. That'll be a lot of fun. Mike Triplett of ESPN, thanks for joining us here on the Datitude Podcast. I'm sure you and I will be talking pretty soon, my friend. Yep. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right. Talk to you later. Always insightful, Mike Triplett of ESPN. We were colleagues for many years at the Times Picayune before he left for ESPN. Uh, we had, obviously, as you heard towards the end there, we were both Cubs fans. Uh, well, we are both Cubs fans, so we kind of had that in common and uh, became friends. And we spent some time up in Chicago together during the 2016 World Series, uh, what we remember, <laughs> because it was a fun weekend, let's just say. Um, that whole weekend for games three, four, and five, um, quite a quite a memory, quite a fun time for us. Cubs fans, because we don't know if we're, you know, it's kind of like Saints fans, right? You got the one World Series, Saints got the one Super Bowl. You have to keep it in the forefront of your mind because you don't know if it's ever going to happen again. I mean, think about it. If you're a Saints fan, how confident are you? I mean, I guess if you're young, you don't think about it, it'll happen again. But when you're my age and you're at 53 and it took so long to get that one and have the chance and to go through the near misses with Drew Brees, and you wonder, is it ever going to happen again? And that's kind of how I feel with both the teams that I followed throughout my life, the Cubs and the Saints. We got our one. If it happens again, it's Lanyap. I don't think either one, if they win another one, could top the one that I already have. Maybe. We'll see. But those two surely were fun. And uh, for me, especially with the Saints, because when the Saints won the Super Bowl, I was working in news. I worked, uh, shifted over to news for a brief time in my career for four or five years. And um, they just so happened to win the Super Bowl when I wasn't in sports. You might think, oh, that's a shame. No, that was a good thing. I got to enjoy it as a fan. So that was fun. Um, don't regret being in news at all. Got a lot out of those five years. It was fun being a fan for that time because it's not as fun when you're working. And even in this role, when I'm not covering them, um, when I'm only covering them from afar, I'm still covering them a little bit. So it's it's different. All right, let's get into, again, I I like to bring on this show, you know, not just because I'm the sports betting writer, but I've always been into the gambling world, per se, from whether it be from afar or the last few years, really trying to get into it and learn how to bet. You know, I mean, it's easy to go to a window and say, like for the Super Bowl example, oh, I like the Bengals. I'm going to root for the Bengals. I might as well throw a couple bucks on them. That's all fine and dandy. But when you want to actually do this more than just for fun, and look, I'm not going to make. I'm not going to try to make a living out of doing this. 
I mean, I mean, I'll make a living out of writing about it, I hope. But I'm not expecting to go make enough money betting to make a living off of it. That's not my intentions. It shouldn't be yours, probably. But at the same time, getting better at it and making a little scratch here and there has come because, because I've learned how to bet, where to bet, looking for the best odds, picking the teams that give me a chance to win best, and not just willy-nilly um, because I still do it to this day. I did it a couple times this week. Oh, I didn't bet on anything today. Let me see. Oh, yeah, they've won a couple games in a row. Let's pop something down on them without doing any research. I, I'm telling you, when I don't do any research and I just willy-nilly go throw something on something uh, with, or without listening to podcast or going through things, I'm probably like 40%. And when I go look and do research, probably like 60% or pretty close to it, maybe a little shy of 60 it's amazing, but I still do it. I still go throw money on something and like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That was a dumb bet. So it's changing our thinking and, and having Devin Jackson on here, um, when he came on, he's learned so much in the short time that he's been here. And like I said, with college football, was amazing. And now he's shifting over into the college basketball world. So let's hear how he thinks and how he got to where he is. A very interesting conversation. It's not a long one. And we're, so we're going to have Devin, and then we'll have Ricky Jackson on after that. Welcoming into the Datitude podcast on a Friday morning, our own Devin Jackson, who is the sports digital content editor of NOLA.com, and, uh, and bet.nola.com has come, become a big part of what we have done in just this, the infancy of bet.nola.com. Devin, uh, welcome to the show. You are a colleague, but you have become a friend over the past six months, and I appreciate uh, what you've done to help me out a little bit and help me see some things differently and uh, glad to have you aboard. Yeah. Glad to be here. Uh, I, I will say likewise, you and you and um, you and Zach have, uh, you know, really taught me some of some of the ins and outs of betting as well. You know, it's fairly new to it when I came to it and uh, it's very exciting to, to be able to, to see how it's, it's grown over, uh, you know, the past six months or so and, you know, getting to, to bet on the Super Bowl and, and finally had mobile betting as part of that and were able to do all that I think was a really cool experience and, and looking forward to, to moving forward you know, got March Madness coming up so very excited for the next few months and, and what they'll bring. I want to ask you you know I think when you came on into this position I'm not sure you expected to take on kind of the role that you've taken with bet.nola.com and um, it's kind of grown and you know what what were you expecting when you came on? Uh, what were you expecting with bet.nola.com? And uh, how has it evolved since you came on? Well, uh, like I mentioned, I, I really didn't know what to expect uh, in terms of betting because I remember uh, going through kind of the, the job interview process and uh, we talked mostly about me, you know, being a sports digital content editor and, you know, I was excited about that. But then they came back and mentioning that, you know, they were starting this betting initiative and, no, I, I, I understood kind of the, the basics of betting, sports betting. I've seen it talked about a lot, uh, you know, on, on social media and, and just, you know, when they're bringing up games, talking about over-unders, over who's uh, expected to win in the, you know, the bad beat segment on, on SVP as well. So it wasn't, you know, completely out of the realm. But, you know, coming on, I was expecting to, like, you know, follow, like, some of the biggest lines in, like, Louisiana sports, like Saints, LSU, uh, Pelicans, obviously. So I, I was just expecting to look at those mainly and not look at the entire landscape. But 
then, you know, it, it just kind of grown. You know, you guys uh, came to me and, and asked me to come on, uh, uh, you know, the, the shows that we're going to do, be a part of that, just being a, a producer. So I thought it was going to be behind the scenes. I wasn't expecting to to pick games and, and you know, end up, uh, you know, in that contest that we ended up playing, uh, you know, betting games every week. So I thought my role was just going to be behind the scenes, you know, just watch you guys talk about it. But actually being a part of it was was completely different, you know, because, now you gotta have that mindset as a better is and you're looking at the games and figuring out where you know where could you get an advantage you know where who could win this game or what spreads look the best and and being able to go through that uh definitely was a, a memorable experience and something i definitely remember going forward as well one thing that our listeners might not know if they hadn't followed is your prowess with picking college football games and i think that obviously is what helped you become a huge part of what we were doing because you were so successful. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say you were well over 60% in the games that you, the college football games you pick. I mean, well over, I'm talking maybe 65 closer. That is nearly impossible to do in a betting world for the course of a season. So we'll see how you, if you could continue that hot streak going into the next season, because it's not as easy as it sounds. That being said, for people, and, and this applies to any sport, so it's not just college football. So I, I want to pick your brain on how you were so successful picking those college football games and what you saw. And I'm talking about, like, George Mason could be playing somebody and you knew something about them or you knew a lot about the Sun Belt and, and stuff like that. And what was it about college football that you can take into other sports and how were you able to do so well in picking those games? Yeah, well, college football, it, it's all about – you know, the programs and, and how they're building and who's getting on a hot streak. So for me, you know, what I try to do is, you know, first couple of weeks, you know, I was, I was putting, putting pretty modest best first, first couple of weeks before, you know, I kind of branched out. So for me, I kind of want to take a look at the landscape and see like who's trending where, you know, is there a star quarterback on a certain team or is there, where are the star players lie? You know, how, how are defenses playing against certain opponents and, and whatnot? So for me, it's just watching a, a lot of different games and a lot of different conferences to figure out, you know, who, who are the best teams to bet on and, and who's starting to trend in the right direction or the wrong direction. And I think, you know, momentum is, is everything, you know, when, when you think about, uh, you know, some of the some of the games that I end up picking, you know, like in in, in the MAC or in the Mountain West or, or all over the, the different group of five conferences and not necessarily the power five. There are typically programs that kind of rose rise to the top and, and they're, you know, consistently, you know, producing uh, not only great talent, but but have great coaching. And I think coaching kind of matters in that aspect too. When you have a, a really good coach and program, you know, when it comes to betting, you, you tend to favor those type of teams. So for me, it was figuring out which teams were, you know, standing out in, in the first couple of weeks and not necessarily, you know, uh, necessarily beating, you know, lesser opponent, opponents, but like those smaller schools, how are they faring against power five teams? And I use that kind of a, as a as the guide to go into their conference games because, you know, teams that typically fare well in those Power Five games, they, they have a good chance of winning their conference championship and, and winning each each weekend within the conference. So one example is like Western Michigan. They they beat they ended up beating Pittsburgh, who uh, obviously going ended up going to the Sugar Bowl. Um, 
you know, that, that was just not Sugar Bowl, but the, um, the Peach Bowl. Peach but that was like one example of a team that, you know, I kind of put a star by early on because they were able to compete against a Power 5 opponent and, and win. So uh, for me, it's like, you know, picking those teams that, you know, it, it, it may seem, you know, when I pick them is like out of the blue, but I've been like keeping a close eye on them, see how they do, and and then how how much they're winning by. I think that that matters too as well when you're placing bets because, uh, you know, if it's a seven point spread and they're winning by you know three to five points, then probably don't want to put a place a bet on that. May may want to look deeper, maybe hit an over or under or something like that. So it was it was kind of a, a feeling out process those first three four weeks and then by week five week six i started figuring out which teams that i, I tend to go back to and, and then just kind of evolve from there how does that carry over into like college basketball and i know obviously we spend so much time on football that we get a late start in in basketball and it, it for me when i was covering high schools it was always the same thing you spend so much time on football that by the time you get into basketball, they're already like in the district play. So you're, you're falling behind. The same goes into baseball. So how is what you've been doing and how hard is it to catch up on like college basketball now that you put so much effort into football? Basketball is tough because there are so many teams. Because in, in, when you think about like all the different conferences involved, like it, it's not just like the power five and group of five. You, you're also thinking about the FCS schools and who could be bracket busters come March. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, how do I even get through that? Right. So, uh, you know, you know, I, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, North Texas was someone that kind of popped up on my radar as a team to watch because, you know, what a scene, it was just off of social media. You know, I saw some random posts like, creative you know creative video and then i did some research and then i looked into their games and realized oh wow they're actually a really good program and and they went you know to the tournament last year and made some noise then so you know i I think it's all about once again finding those trends and and college basketball is a little bit different because you know anyone can can kind of win in, in in advance but you know same thing i think the same thing kind of applies coaching definitely matters. So uh, a coach that has experience being, you know, at, at a bigger school or playing, you know, with a, a bigger program and, and bringing that to maybe a small program, group of five FCS, I think that matters too in college basketball uh, because you can be the less talented team. You can have, you know, the smaller team, et cetera, but all you need, all you need is one good game. And, and you can just keep riding the wave and riding that momentum. So college basketball was a little bit more difficult still going through the process of, of figuring out which teams I'm going to, uh, you know, start to, to really like it as it gets close by. But, you know, catching up, you know, obviously seeing, you know, some of the teams that are standing out, like obviously the Dukes of the World, Kansas, uh, Baylor, uh, you know, teams like that, they're, they're typically ones that are there and, and you expect to be there. But, you you always want to find that that team that can you know kind of fly under the radar and, and all of a sudden make a, a deep tournament run. So uh, definitely going through that process, but excited to see uh, who kind of rises to the top by the time we get to March. And we're just a few weeks away from from March Madness and the start of the college basketball tournament. To me, um, those four days, those first four days are just incredible and so much fun to watch. Um, it, you talk about the North Texas of the world. Obviously, every year there's some team you're like, 
how in the heck did, I don't know, Appalachian State beat Purdue or, you know, just along those lines. What I'm not saying there or Richmond. How does how does how do they win big games? What are maybe some teams you might be keeping your eye on besides North Texas going forward? Again, we're just a few weeks away and I know we'll be watching conference tournaments, but people teams might keep an eye on because the the average Joe who gets involved in college basketball only in March. They're going to start looking now. They're going to start trying to figure out who these teams might be, who who the 13, 14, 15 seeds they might pick it to be bracket busters. Yeah, actually, tonight I caught a little bit of a, a Mountain West game out, uh, you know, out West, and then Boise State, uh, you know, put the beat down on uh, Air Force. And, and Boise State kind of caught my eye. They sit at the top of uh, the, the Mountain West Conference right now, just ahead of Wyoming, who's ranked number 22nd uh, in the country. Those two teams are two teams to watch out for, you know, and, and I know again, when you think about out West, you think about Gonzaga is probably one of the best teams in college basketball, but uh, the Mountain West, those two teams uh, have been, been tremendous this year, even Colorado state. So it's a three team team race right now in the Mountain West conference to, to see who's going to come out. But I really like what Boise state has, because I think they have a nice blend of size uh, shooting and, and they have that balance that you kind of look for uh, in, in, in tournament time. So I wouldn't be surprised if Boise State uh, snuck in that 12-13 seed and and get a really good matchup. And they could provide a, a tough opponent, like a, a number four seed that, you know, people are expecting to win and, and maybe make a, a Elite Eight Final Four run. So Boise State is, is someone that, uh, you know, has really caught my eye over the last week or so as a team to, to watch very closely as we get into uh, their their conference tournament and, and, and what ultimately happens. Because it seems like it's going to come down between them and Wyoming uh, and who should get in. And, and I'm liking how Boise State is trending in the right direction. Devin Jackson of NOLA.com here on the Datitude podcast on a Friday morning. Uh, before I let you go, I do want to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. Um, you know, you and I were both on the same side with the Rams, and I, we, we gave Spencer a little grief. You know, that's, that's okay. Um, and, I, and I told him. He was all over the Bengals, and I told him, I said, you know what? If you're right and the Bengals win, you're going to have you on the Datitude podcast, and we will have Spencer on at some point. But if you're wrong, I'm going to have my friend Devin Jackson come on because we were both right. And what was it about the Rams that, uh, that we saw? And I'm a, what did you see that led you to believe that the Rams were going to find a way to win? And they did. Well, we, we had talked about it, um, you know, that, that episode that Zach, I think Zach was out. But um, we talked about the Rams win that first playoff game. There's a good chance they would make it to the Super Bowl because – they're, they were that wild card team that they hadn't quite put it together. You know, they hadn't figured out how to win with all their new pieces. But, you know, Odell Beckham really became a, a big part of that. And, and you know, he helped me win, win a big prop bet uh, in the Super Bowl, scoring that first touchdown. But, you know, just with the talent they had, it, it was undeniable. And it was just about getting over that first hump. I, and, and, I, and truly, that, that's kind of what made the difference because they were able to beat the Cardinals as a team they struggled with early in the season. And, you know, going to Tampa, Tampa was pretty beat up. And, and they just were not the same team they were before. And if the Rams didn't fumble twice, that game would have been a blowout as right. well. And then you go into San Francisco, obviously that was going to be a tough game. Uh, but, but we knew that Jimmy Garoppolo, if it came down to it, he wasn't going to be uh, the, the person that, that leads, leads them to win the clutch. So the Rams were constantly building to this moment, you know, and, and constantly, uh, you know, finding ways to win. 
And, you know, when it came to the Super Bowl, the thing that worried me that ended up biting the Bengals was the offensive line. And, and they just could not protect Joe Burrow to, for anything. He couldn't get in a rhythm. He couldn't, uh, you know, figure out, uh, you know, how to evade the rush. Because, I mean, it's different when you're evading the Chiefs pass rush versus exactly. Aaron Donald and Von Miller uh, and that Vontae pass rush. They've been there before, and, and they understand the moment. And, and I don't think the moment was too big for the Bengals, but to me it came down to the rogue guys that, that made plays, those in-between guys, because – when you think about the, what the Bengals did, Tyler Boyd, he had like a huge drop on a third down. I, I look back at that play as kind of the turning point because he was so reliable and you expect him to catch everything coming his way. But the Bengals just were, were sloppy on offense. You know, even when they, they took the lead, I felt like they, there were too many mistakes being made, you know, mental errors. And when you look at the Rams, especially in the third and fourth quarter, there were no drops by the receivers. They caught everything. Um, you know, there weren't really any huge missed blocks. Everything about their their approach was methodical and building towards that that final drive. And uh, you know, I look at guys like Van Jefferson, Bryson Hopkins, and Daryl Henderson as as the big keys to the Rams winning. Because if it weren't for them and their contributions, um, they would have to rely on Cooper Cup. There would have been a lot of more forced passes to Cooper Cup and could have led to more interceptions. So the role guys of the Rams stepped up. I know we talked a lot about, um, you know, the, their big stars, Odell, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, but the role players that they've had homegrown and, and been able to develop actually made a difference and, and really made a difference every every single game. You know, and I think that that's what it really came down to at the end that the Bengals, they had all these free agent additions. They had all these players that they brought in. But when when the moment came and, and time to make plays, they, they didn't do it. No question. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, I mean, I think a couple of plays here and there, and it could have been, I mean, I think it could have been a 10-point, 13-point game instead of being close. And the Rams played quite a few games that they probably should have won by more points than they did. And you look at their record against the spread, it wasn't that great. Um it's because they let teams come back in, but they always, not always, they went through a little mini three game losing streak in the middle of the season. But really other than that, they pretty much found a way to win throughout the, the whole season. So looking forward. And lastly, I mean, I, I think that, you know, you got to think about the Rams potentially, I think they'll be just as good or if not better next year. Uh, so they've got to be considered one of the favorites in the NFC. But if you were to pick a couple of teams Looking at next year, who you think might should be on your radar now? If you want to make, I made a couple little little shot in the dark bets last night, five ten bucks here and there on futures. Uh, who are some of your dark horses to look in? And obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with free agency and the draft and all that stuff yet. But if you wanted to go out and put a couple bets out there, who are a couple of dark horses you're looking at already? Yeah, um, you know, kind of looking forward. I, I, honestly, I, I kind of like what the Giants are doing. I like, the, I like what the New York Giants are doing. They brought in uh, Brian Dabble. Um, you know, he's going to help them retool that offense. You look at the NFC East, you know, I know the Dallas Cowboys are, are going to gonna probably be good again next year. But when you look at those other teams, the Eagles, you know, we don't, we don't know really know what, what's gonna, where they're going to go in the quarterback direction if Jalen Hurts is going to take the next step. For me, picking the Giants as kind of a dark horse, not necessarily to, to make a Super Bowl or anything like that, but maybe be a wild card team is they already have a solid defense. And and I think 
that was the one thing that stood out, even with, you know, all the things going around, you know, the injury with Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, up and down play. I think the the Giants are going to address some of their offensive line issues, uh, especially in the draft and, and start to develop and, and get towards where they should be, honestly. You know, they have too much talent, especially on that defense, to, to continue to, to waver every single year. And if they figure out the quarterback position and, and figure out a way to get Daniel Jones not to be uh, mistake-ridden, I, I think that's a team – uh, that that could could be on someone's radar by by the time we we're talking next year and Saquon Barkley's health is going to be a big part of that uh, in, in what he does but I think the Giants now have a foundation with Brian Dabble to, to come in and really change the the mindset and, and you know just trying to change the culture because they that Joe Judge experiment was was horrendous you know it, it just not. was bad from from the start and. I think you bring someone in, someone that's that's now at playoff success with the Bills, um, and really built towards uh, you know becoming a, a legitimate AFC threat to to the Chiefs. Um, I, I think he's going to come in and really retool that that offense, and I, I think they they have a chance to win seven eight games and maybe sneak in as a wild card. So I, I think the Giants are, are a dark horse to watch for sure, and maybe they're a year or two away. Uh, you know, after next year, but, but I think, you know, the, they got the coaching hire right. And I think they're going to nail the draft and get some free agents to, to start build some, build a winner and, and not just a team that exists in New York. You know, I didn't even think about the giants, but you, you make good point. I've been, and now going back, we talked about it in the uh, odds and ends and no, 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 we don't call it that anymore. Uh, the at the book show yesterday, um, I, we talked about the divisions and they had odds on divisions to win. Uh, if a team from that division wins, I think the NFC East was somewhere along the lines of seven and a half or eight to one. So I agree with you. I th- first of all, I think Dallas is going to be a really tough team to beat. I know we say that about Dallas every year, but I really think Dallas is going to be a tough team to beat next year. And you're right about Philadelphia. If Jalen Hurts can advance a little bit, and um, I got to think he's going to play with a little bit more confidence, that Philadelphia could be a really, really tough team. I agree the Giants are going to be better. And who the heck knows with Washington what, what they're going to be. So that's going to be an interesting division to watch next year real quick. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's going to be very, very fun. I think Washington may upgrade the quarterback position. So you I might have a, a, another another quarterback coming in and, and bringing in kind of that new life. But when you look at the Giants, uh, Eagles, and and. Uh, Cowboys are going to run it back with the quarterbacks they have. So uh, I I think it's going to be interesting to see in the quarterback position if Washington actually comes together as a defense because a lot of people were expecting them to be a top 10 unit and they were more middle of the pack uh, this year. So I think that's going to be something to watch too. But it's going to be a fun division. I think it's no, it's far from a couple years ago when they were the worst division in football. It's, It's definitely one of the best now. I know I won't be betting on the NFC South. That's for sure. It's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting year. Anybody can win that division. Devin Jackson, thank you so much for joining the Datitude podcast. And you and I will be on the air together on Monday with the Bayou Bet Show. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we're going to have to take over for Zach when, when he uh, goes to Europe for a few weeks. Must be nice. Yeah, he's he's gonna be living it up. He said he's gonna join from Europe, but I, I don't think we're we're gonna hear from him. Oh uh, yeah, he's you know. gonna have some German beer and all that stuff, and um, it'll be what it is. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, he's gonna have a good time. So I I would not blame him if if he decides not to join. But but we'll we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely figure things out while he's gone. We'll roll on without him. Devin Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at real d underscore Jackson. Uh, and t- I'm telling you, you got to follow him because the man knows how to pick. Uh, he picked college football, and I got a feeling he's gonna do well in the tournament. We're looking forward to your picks. We'll talk to you on Monday, Devin. All right, talk to you soon. I told you, you guys, that he knows what he's talking about. Again, just the short time that he's been here, he has picked up so much. He's learned more in six months than I've learned in the last five years about this whole thing. And uh, it's great to have him as a part of the team, and uh, we'll have him on Datitude again. All right, the NFL Hall of Famer. Um, What an interesting conversation with Ricky Jackson. It's not a long one, but... uh, picking the brain of a Hall of Famer and some of the fun things that we talk about coming up are how the game's different. Um, Obviously, we talk about the Dome Patrol and Jim Mora days and um, what he thought about the Super Bowl and all those things. But uh, just being able to have a Hall of Famer on, like I said, you got an episode 57 and I started thinking ahead. I'm like, you know, what, what made it pop into my head is a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to add up where the episodes would be. I knew I was going on vacation before Mardi Gras. And I'm like thinking, okay, well, episode 56 will be the the Tuesday after the Super Bowl. It'll be our first. That'll, that's pretty cool. Super Bowl 56, episode 56. And then we'll finish it out with episode 57. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Episode 57. So I pulled some strings. Um, Ricky and I have played poker together a few times. And so... A really good friend of mine, Dave Gordon, uh, who kind of runs this little tournament that we play that we played in every week for Sunday night for the past twenty years or so. Um, Ricky's come and played in the tournament, so I got him to help me uh, get Ricky on. And big that shout out to to Dave Gordon for helping me get him on, and it's worth it. It is just good stuff. I mean, a couple times it made me want to crack up a little bit. I had to turn my my head away from the mic. So we'll see what you think, get your thoughts, and then we'll wrap up the show, and I will tell you a little bit about my ride coming up in Endymion and how you can find me, maybe a little bit. Well, let's get to the Hall of Famer right here on Datitude. Here with Ricky Jackson on the Datitude podcast, the greatest number 57 ever to play in the NFL, in my opinion. Rick, what's going on? Everything going good today, man. Just got through coming from the Super Bowl and watching a good game. What did you think about it? Let's get let's get into that. What did you think about the Super Bowl? And uh, you know, you had two really good defenses out there. I know that must have been something you enjoyed. Uh, looking at the pit boy, you know, I went to the rest of Pittsburgh and looking at Donald man the way he played, it was just you know always great to see a pit boy do good at the game. What uh, what's your opinion of a guy like Aaron Donald, who I thought should have been the MVP, by the way, but. Uh, you know, I I don't think there's a question. He's the best defensive player in the game right now. And uh, what did you think of him? Well, I mean, you know, like I say, you know, he's a pit boy, and you know, I was glad to see him do good, and that's who I watched in the game. You know, by him being from the same college, I keep up with him. That's you know? right. That's right. Well, I want to talk to you about a little bit about your Saints days and uh, comparing this last year's team to some of the teams you played on. It's been a long time since. The Saints are known for defense, and I think that unquestionably this year it was the defense that carried this team and almost led them to the playoffs. 
Well, I mean, those same days that, you know, I came to, you know, had a lot of defense and no offense, and that went right back to what they used to be. You know, it went to a lot of defense and no offense this year. So, you know, it just made me uh, think of the old days, bring back memories of, you know, if you can just play offense good enough to stay with the team and, you know, the defense can win the ball game. But, you know, when you're going out there just depending on the defense to win the ball game, that's kind of tough, you know. What were your memories of, of playing in the Super Bowl, obviously for the 49ers? Did it, did, does it bring back memories when you when you see defensive performances like you saw this week? Yeah, I mean, well, we had we a better team than, than the team we played against. Way better. These two teams, they were so evenly matched, they could have went either way. And I think when the referee missed a couple calls in the game, and then they tried to make up the calls at the end of the game, you know, because they had to miss some calls on the team. That's what it seemed like. And that's the kind of stuff you uh, hate to see. You know, like when the wide receiver caught the touchdown with the face mask, he right. pulled the guy's face mask, rough race. All of them out there, and none of them see that, you know, and they backed up for that. And then when it come down to the goal line, as soon as the guy touched the guy, they called a penalty to get him the first down on the one-yard line like that. So, it was more like a seemed like a makeup call, you know. So that's the only two plays in the game that really just stood out. But the player of the game, a lot of people don't even realize the player of the game was when Donald stopped the guy from getting that one yard. No doubt about that. A uh, lot of people don't realize that. They look at the whole game and they try to look at all the plays. But the one play that stood out more than any play in that whole game was when Donald stopped that running back from getting that extra yard to get that first down. The game would have been over. NFL Hall of Famer Ricky Jackson here on the Datitude Podcast. Rick, um, what uh, when you when you have a call that doesn't get called like that as a defensive player, what goes through your mind? And you, you, you the, especially the face mask call, the first play of the second half. What are you guys thinking as defensive players when they miss something like that? Well, the referees for the other team. I mean, what else can you think? You mean straight up? <laughs> The only thing you can think of, he's well, he for the other team. That's the only thing you can think of. You know, he for me if he missed that kind of call. <laughs> does it make you? Does it give you a little bit more fire and say, okay, well, we're gonna oh, make yeah, up for it and yeah, find yeah, a way? Right. I know now. I know now who you for. So it makes me feel a little different, a little harder. That's all. <laughs> and there was some times back in the Saints days when you had to wonder so, some certain calls. I mean, just how close this, the teams that you uh, played man, on. They came, in, they came in against us, the whole crew. Not just see, like, in that game, seemed like one or two of them was uh, 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 against the round. But for us, when we played, man, it was like the whole crew was against you. There were some, some, some interesting moments. What were your favorite moments of, of playing for the Saints? Making the first playoff. Yeah. You know, all right, thinking that now we got a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And that's all I ever wanted to do was, you know, try to get in the Super Bowl to win the Super Bowl with the Saints. So whenever you got that first shot at the playoff and stuff and got a chance to make the playoff, you feel like now, you know, we're establishing ourselves, you know, to be with the big boys. There's one particular memory I have of you, and it's not even as a Saint. It's as a 49er. And your first game coming back to the Dome, and the Dome was – we don't normally cheer for, for the opposing players. But when you were announced, you got a, a big cheer. And when that game was over, I think it was a primetime game, I remember that you – when the game was over, you ran out and you went out and you kissed the, the Fleur de Lee in the middle of the field. And that meant so many things to, to Saints fans. Do you remember that moment? Oh, yeah, that was the greatest moment in football. 
for me. I mean, because, you know, coming back out there, I've been there for 13 years and come back my 14th year and get a chance to play there. I mean, that was home for me. and That meant everything to me. Talk about your your Dome Patrol uh, mates, and obviously two of them aren't with us anymore. Um, that is the greatest – I mean, you have to agree that's the greatest core group of linebackers that have ever played football, right? Yeah, and, uh, you know, got another one in the Hall of Fame this week. And, uh, you know, I went and presented uh, Sam Mills up there for the Super Bowl and all that stuff to get in the Hall of Fame. But and just the idea that, you know, you got Pat and Vaughn left. And uh, I don't know if I ever see them get in or not, but I know that they, you know, some of the guys that's in, uh, these two guys did better than some of the guys that's in. So I don't know if I ever see them get in. I'm glad that I got a chance to see Sam Mills get in, and I hope the other two guys get in. But it's so hard to make the Hall of Fame, man. I'm telling you, it ain't easy to make the Hall of Fame. And uh, the way they pick and the way they go by picking people, you never know who they're going to put in. So my thing is, I just hope and pray that these two guys get in one day. You know, I hope that I'll be allowed to see it. You know, Vaughn Johnson, to me, was one of the most underrated players that ever played this game. I mean – you know, you guys were so good that it was hard for four guys to get maybe the recognition they deserve. But Vaughn Johnson was just one hell of a football player. Yeah, and I mean, he carried himself, you know, as he wanted to hit somebody and yeah. knock somebody out. So, you know, he was a great hitter, and he still you know the game. Same thing with Sam. And, you know, uh, was just a great guy in the middle and had two good guys on the end. So we had a good combination of everybody, you know, doing the working together, just like a you and still, nobody never complained or uh, anything like that. And, uh, you know, about me being the leader, being already here, all those guys, they, you know, looked up to me and we were all good friends. You still talk to Pat at all? I was just with Pat at the Super Bowl. You know, we, we got a new thing now, the Honda Site Club. Everybody got a Honda Site. You know, we have a award at the Super Bowl every year. You uh-huh. know, now that this is our first year having it. And uh, everybody got a Honda Sites came back. And now uh, we have a banquet and stuff, too, uh, every year. So, it, it's, so we got about 39 guys that's got 100 sites in the NFL, something like that, 39 or 49. But we had about 20-something to come back. So it's getting, you know, it's a nice deal. Do you talk to Coach Moore at all? Yeah, uh, I, I talk to Coach Moore only, only when I see him during the season. Okay, and 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 before I let you go, I want to know what it was, what it was like to to play for Coach Mora. Uh, obviously, he was a defensive coach, and he loved you guys. And the the defenses were always good under him. Well, you know, I was always with Vic Fangio. You know, Vic right. was my coach for for all the years, and you know, he went on and been a great coach in the NFL. He just you know uh, got rid of the Denver job. He just got rid of him. But Vic was always my man. You know, I was always a Vic Fangio guy. Uh, and lastly, before I let you go, I appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. What is the biggest difference in foot? What is the biggest difference in football today from when you played? Oh, you can't hit nobody now. No hitting going on now. That flag football when they playing, I, I, I can play that today. You got sixty something years old. You can play today, probably. Yeah, I can play that flag football. They playing, man, that's flag football. I look out there, that thing, man, I, I can play today. I go out there 64 and play that. 
what, what would a Ricky Jackson, how would Ricky Jackson play football today? How would you play it differently? I'll be like Donald. Yeah, I swear to God, that I'm the best I've ever seen. I'll be just like Aaron Donald, another pit boy. I guarantee you, I can go out there right now and play with the Rams and, 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 and be a superstar. <laughs> You know, I look at Vaughn Miller. I look at Vaughn Miller. He rushed the quarterback, and he don't even much hit nobody. I touch nobody. Get to the quarterback. <laughs> That's what I always I say. Mean, it, you know, always how good the guy is. And I look at a guy pass rush, just like the little guy from Dallas. He go around and run and get the quarterback. Nobody ain't touch the guy. Nobody block him or nothing. They do that five or six times uh, uh, a season. Nobody ain't touch him, and they say they good. <laughs> they never let us go. You think they they were trying to kill me and LT them to keep us from getting to the quarterback? It, I don't. Yeah, uh, LT would be a different. It would be different. I always say, look, Tom Brady played until he was forty four years old, whatever he was. If Joe Montana had the same kind of rules, Joe Montana would have played until he was forty five years old too. Yeah, we beat Joe Montana up though. Joe Montana was beat up. He couldn't play that long because you hit him too hard. Right, hit him too hard. Kept him hurt all the time. Kept him knocked out all the time. They don't do that no more. And your quarterback at San Francisco, Steve Young, I mean, he had seven concussions because they beat the hell out of him. Yeah, but you look at uh, the way they got not a quarterback. The quarterback don't never get hurt now. I mean, it's just not the only one taking a beat. Now, that boy from Cincinnati, boy, he taking a beat. He really did. Just so terrible, man. I mean, they got to do better than that. I mean, look at Donald Walker all the way to the quarterback. And, I mean, you can't you can't let that kind of stuff happen when you got a good quarterback. I mean, you should be trying to block for him, especially, you know. There's no doubt about it. Ricky, where's your gold jacket? What do you do with it? You ever put it on? I put it on all weekend, man. You had to have it on for the Super Bowl. Everybody had them on for the Super Bowl. You, you got it locked away in your closet when you come home? Uh, I, got, I got two of them. I got the first one and I got that one. I got two of them. Well, no one that's ever put wore black and gold in this city deserve to wear that jacket more than you. I appreciate you so much taking time to talk to us on the podcast. All right, thank you, man. Anytime. Thank you, Ricky. The great Ricky Jackson. When you think of the Saints, there are some names that pop in your head. Obviously, Drew Brees is number one. But number two, in my opinion, has either got to be Archie Manning or Ricky Jackson and who had a greater impact on this franchise. Nothing against Archie because... Growing up, he was my favorite. Um, when they traded him away, I was a youngster, but, man, I had some tears in my eyes. I'll tell you that. Archie Manning for Leon Gray, that just wasn't fair. But number 57, Ricky Jackson, um, helped change his franchise. He was a part of the – a huge part of the reason why people started to think differently when they thought about the New Orleans Saints. Started with 57. And uh, it is an honor. It was an honor to have him here on the show. Well, we are going to ride off into the sunset for a little bit. Um, little mini break, two weeks. Uh, it doesn't start for me until I am going to do the Bayou Bets on show, a show on Monday on bet.nola.com. But uh, I am taking off from Tuesday until Ash Wednesday which means there's no datitude, since we do datitude on Tuesdays and Fridays. Um, that means there will be no datitude again until Friday, I believe, March 4th. Um, and look, before I leave, though, I want to say this, two things real quick. Um, I gave a shout-out to my, my little baby, my little six-year-old baby, Lucy Derry, who had a 
sixth birthday yesterday. And, oh, man, I forgot to mention my my 10-year-old who just had her half birthday. Ten-and-a-half-year-old Ella Derry is having her half birth, had her half birthday last week. So we give a shout-out to both Derry girls in this show, Datitude Podcast. It's family for I always talk about family. And hug the ones you love. And, well, we won't say about the rest of them. But uh, if we're hugging the ones we love, we're giving shout-outs. Both my daughters, Ella Derry, Lucy Derry, we love you very much. And my son, Blair, is on his bachelor party this weekend. So we hope he's, and he's on, on the coast in Mississippi. I'm sure he's acting responsibly. No doubt in my mind. Group of 20-something-year-old kids. On the coast, in the casinos. Oh, yeah. What could go wrong there? Nothing. Shout out to them and all my kids. Um, It has been fun. And a reminder that uh, I will be in the crew of Endymion a week from tomorrow. I am so looking forward to it after no Mardi Gras last year. Oh, man, I'm a Mardi Gras guy. And it was rough last year not having the parade. So glad they are back. If you want to find out where I'm going to be, if you give me a little note, send me a note to at, uh, you can email me at jderry at theadvocate.com or find me on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. And I'll let you know where I'm going to be. Uh, and I will give you some loot. Can't promise it'll be uh, better than a $50 king cake if you don't live in New Orleans. But it'll be something cool. Uh, it probably have something that lights up. So uh, reach out and, and, and find me there. Also, don't forget, since we're going to be gone for two weeks, make sure you subscribe to the Datitude Podcast so you can find out when our next one's coming out. We're on every major platform, however you found us here. And, of course, we're on bet.nola.com every Tuesday and Friday, except for the next two Tuesdays and the next Friday. Friday, March 4th, we'll be back. So enjoy your Mardi Gras. Enjoy carnival time, boys and girls. And we will see you on Friday, March the 4th. Peace and love, my friends.